Hello, I'm Angela. And I'm Marie, the second half of this mother and daughter team. Welcome to Chalker Checkups. We're here to guide you on your quest for spiritual knowledge and enlightenment. My mom, Marie, is a fountain of knowledge, and I just want you to talk about, like, why are you wanting to start this podcast in the first place? I want to do the podcast because I'd like to get real and factual information about everything concerning your chakras, psychic information, um, healing, shamanism, mediumship. And everything that you talk from is from personal experience and things that you have seen and done yourself. Yes, absolutely. I don't ever write about or talk about anything that I haven't actually been through or witnessed directly. If I if something does come up that is not direct, I'll preface it with saying this is something I have read about and I believe, but I have not personally done. Everyone will know that at that moment, but that's very rare. What kind of topics are you wanting to get into later down the line? Like what things can we hear from you? Well, I think people should know as much as they can about the energetics of their whole system and how it works and how to keep themselves protected, how to keep their children protected and their house protected. That's something we should be taught in school as far as I'm concerned. I think we should know how to handle uh, ghosts and transition and death and what happens afterwards. I think that uh, we should be able to know how to deal with children, especially psychic children. And instead of putting all, all of our children on Ritalin, there's healthy and better alternatives that work. I think that there's a lot to learn about our own each chakra, our third eye, how our mind really works, how our heart chakra works, how our sexual chakra works, and what real sacred sex is like as compared to how deviant sexuality has become in society today. And the, the list is endless. That's going to be really exciting to have those conversations with you later down the line. For our listeners, can you just give us some background information? How old are you? Where did you grow up? Did you have a religious background? Okay, well, I'm just shy of 70. I'll be 70 in March. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We moved over 30 times. So my mom just liked to move around. So we didn't we didn't stay in any one place. My religious background uh, is Christian. Uh, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. And then later when my mom married uh, her second time, I was baptized in the Presbyterian Church because my stepfather was Presbyterian and he wanted us all baptized that way. I was kind of a religious fanatic when I was little. And I guess I'm more of a spiritual fanatic now. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I had a pretty plain uh, childhood, pretty pretty ordinary, just like anybody else. In other American than Trent. seeing ghosts and being able to remember things that you shouldn't know. <laughs> other well, than that, it was normal. <laughs> yeah, other than that, for the most part, when I was little, if I saw something... 
or something happened, people would just tell me that they didn't see it, so it didn't exist. And do you remember any of those, like, for example, things that you would see that people would tell you aren't real and don't exist? I remember uh, I had two angelic beings come into my room. I woke up because there was a bright light in the room, and it wasn't my nightlight. And I looked over, and there were... uh, a male and a female inside the door and they were taller than the door. That was the first thing that struck me about them. They were just both smiling. They didn't move. They didn't speak. And they were just very, very shiny and bright. It made the whole room very bright. What I did is what any child would probably do. I put the covers over my head and hoped that they would go away. And after a while, I you know, peeked back out of the covers and they were still there. They were there for quite some time. And so we just stared at each other for quite a while. And then I did the same thing again. I just figured I'd better just hide under my covers and, you know, the whole thing will go off itself. But I was How old were you then? Around five, four or five years old at okay. that time. Yeah, well, so that would be quite striking as a kid being like these strangers are in my room (laughs) (laughs) really tall strangers (laughs) really tall bright strangers tall and shiny strangers in your room what happened when you told you know your mom or dad about this well they just said that i I had a dream and uh or you know and it was nothing to worry about No, it, nothing happened nothing was there <laughs> is is that one of the first things you remember seeing as a kid my earliest memory was actually of seeing my father and my grandfather butchering a deer on my grandmother's table and the odd thing about that was that when I was about uh six years old we were talking about our everybody what's your earliest memory what's your earliest memory at a party a family gathering and i my earliest memory and i started telling everybody about this and everybody stopped and turned and looked at me and it turned out that at that time my mother was about eight and a half months pregnant with me (laughs) yeah wild so i guess because it was so uh, she she told me later that she was just so appalled to have this bloody deer on the table and them cutting it all up while she was pregnant and it was making her sick. I guess her shock shocked me to a a, a level of consciousness that I just paid attention to what was going on. And I remembered it vividly. I can still actually, even when I talk about it now, remember the blood dripping off the table and the deer leg hanging off the table (laughs) it was a very clear memory how did they react to you remembering that well over the years my family reacted in different ways some of them just thought I was playing freaky didn't want to deal with it they would just wanted to ignore the whole thing and kind of stayed away from me you know they didn't they just pretend it all would go away and and occasionally some of my friends, my mom's friends and, and occasionally my mom, they all decided I'm like a miracle kid and they would kind of go the other extreme. 
and you know try to figure out what can we do with this you know so it all didn't work (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty much left to my own devices and I spent a lot of time reading and meditating and I at earlier in my life I was just spent a lot of time uh, saying prayers and contemplating and being with nature which to me just sounds like you couldn't get most kids to meditate to save their lives (laughs) we're all (laughs) you know so so hard to I guess sit still and to contemplate anything like where did the motivation to be so disciplined about meditation come in I just uh, was a freaky little kid um I don't really know it just was just my natural inclination I was very quiet I was very shy I'm a audio and visually dyslexic and I'm also cystopic I have a photosensitivity and it was especially extreme when I was little so I didn't like bright lights and I was always wearing these big dark glasses my mom always said well you look just like a movie star with your big sunglasses on and your white skin so I just I just wanted to be left alone and sit quiet in my room and say my prayers and I was just that way I guess when did you realize that you had abilities well it it came over gradually I did begin to realize that I was telepathic at an early age and I actually began to realize I could influence people a little bit and I have to admit I wasn't that responsible with it when I was younger I I realized mostly with my mom if I thought about something a lot she would think it was her idea so I could you know we want pizza we really want pizza and if I kept that up for a little while she'd say hey I've got an idea you know (laughs) let's (laughs) let's go get pizza and then I'd be thinking wow this is great (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's every kid's dream to be able to make their parents do what they want them to do well, I actually think a lot of people do that. I think oftentimes in the family, the person with the strongest uh, telepathic ability does do that. And nobody has really paid that close of attention to it. Or it's just not that common in our society to think about uh, telepathic kids or abilities that much at all. Right. But over the years I've worked with many children and a lot of them are pushing the whole family around and nobody knows, you know, but I, I realized that early on and it wasn't very long before I realized that also I probably shouldn't be doing that. So, you know, um, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> right. So telepathy, what other skills and abilities have you discovered that you have? In my early teens, I started to have, predictions no no one things were going to happen that was very alarming and awkward for me and I have since shut that down but I did know when we were going to crash the car I knew when certain things were going to happen and they did happen and uh, that's one psychic ability you can choose to have or, or or to turn off certain things and that's something I did turn off but I definitely had that for some time. I also have healing ability. And from about the time of about age 13, it began to be obvious that I did have some healing ability. And 
And some people would say, well, you ju I just feel better when I'm around you or I feel better when, you know, you hold my hand or something like that. It just started sort of in that way. They would gravitate towards me. It just happened very organically and very naturally. And to this day, that still happens. I'll be at a coffee shop and someone will say, oh, can I just sit at your table? And they'll start talking about something that's bothering them that's very, you know, psychically oriented. Just recently, man sat down and then he started talking about his friend that committed suicide and where did his spirit go and what did I think about it? <laughs> I'm like, how does this happen? <laughs> just trying to have coffee and a donut. <laughs> oh. But uh, the, but it's been that way all my life. So I've, I've kind of got used to it. I'm like, okay, sure. Sure, Jeff, join me. <laughs> wow. How would someone turn off an ability, you know, that's not benefiting them? You simply ask your angels or tell your angels, this is something I don't want to do. I don't want to do this. We have free will. We're not, you know, God's not going to force you to be a medium or force you to be a seer. You know, you have to be willing. So if you're not willing for whatever reason, it's okay. And that's the thing I tried to tell people. Sometimes people feel like they're being victimized by whatever ability they have. And it's okay mm -hmm. if you don't want to do something. There's other people out there that are going to do it. You know, the angels can get the job done with or without you. So nobody is indispensable. And it's not necessary for you to do something that you're uncomfortable with or you don't want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I know. And that was just, there's, there's no advantage that I could see for me or anyone else in making predictions. In high school, there was a, there was a kid that I didn't even know him. And I walked up to him and I said, on Thursday at three o'clock, you're going to be busted for drug possession. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I was doing him a favor. And uh, it turned out on that day, he was out in the forest we lived up in the mountains in the national forest or near the national forest and he was driving around the national forest in a car with friends smoking pot the police came around behind him he got nervous and he threw his lit marijuana cigarette out of the window and he got busted for possession that became all about me you know it circulated that i was somehow what they called a narc at those times, you know, I had set him up and all of this stuff. I don't know how that could have possibly been about me. But <laughs> and I didn't know where he was going to be, what he was going to be doing, but. Right. But you knew ahead of time. So, but I knew, I fault. knew exactly. I knew the exact time when it was going to happen. I just felt like, wow, this is just, there's no advantage to this. Right. So I just decided, uh, at a very early age I don't want to I don't want to do this and so that was, was when you were in high school mm -hmm. what other things happened in high school with the kids well I was very telepathic I was also kinetic kinetic is ability to uh to feel things and know things so I was able to like I could pick up a piece of jewelry and tell about what the people that owned it before felt looked like I can still do that um some some of their history which made me really think you never want to 
buy used jewelry, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of creepy, a lot of it. But I also could go to the library, and and if I was looking for a certain uh, topic in research, I could just put my hand along the books and say, I'm looking for this, and then the and run my fingers along the books and the book that had what I needed, it would have this staticky vibration when I touched it. And pretty soon um, the kids that were my close friends said, this is cool. Will you come with me to the library? I'm looking right. for something and I'd help them find it. And, In an um, age pre-computers and stuff, that's actually a very useful skill. <laughs> yeah. There was no computers uh, at that time. And uh, well, there were, some in giant buildings you know but um so I was doing that and then some of the more religiously fanatic kids in high school got wind of it and started following me around thinking I'm satanic and trying to I don't know say prayers about me or something (laughs) (laughs) and then one of the science teachers uh, who was a really good guy he said okay this is gonna all stop you guys stop following her with your prayers and all that and you stop doing that with the books and (laughs) (laughs) you know know, enough of this (laughs) but I could still do it I could still do it today but I had to stop doing it in high school (laughs) yeah I mean that could turn into a whole situation for sure Uh, and of course I did astral traveling Um, my parents had a party that uh, they they were big on having cocktail parties back and then this was in the oh, you know 70s um, and they were having a cocktail party and uh, there was probably oh you know 12 13 people or something there and they were all drinking their scotch and waters and having hors d'oeuvres and all and one of the men that were at the party he was a uh, psychologist that also did a lot of uh, hypnotherapy and he decided as a party entertainment he would hypnotize everyone and I was sitting at on a sofa one of our sofas in the we had this giant living room uh, kind of at the end sort of semi prone on the sofa being bored and but I thought well what the heck I'd never been hypnotized before and he just started it with a typical okay relax close your eyes you're going down tunnel towards this light you know and you're going to get very relaxed and I started to do that and after just a few minutes I just saw myself lying on the sofa and I also saw myself kind of hovering above my body and I looked at that for a while and I go wow this is so trippy you know and then I just took off I went through the ceiling and off in the sky and went across the town and uh, I didn't know where I was going or even why and then I went into another house and I was was standing at in this bedroom this little boy who had this furniture that's all made out of thin logs you know kind of rustic log furniture bed and uh, and he was seemed to be just waking up or struggling to wake up and I was watching him he's about uh probably about a 10 or 11 year old boy mm. and I watched him he struggled to get up and then he kind of got his feet off the edge of the bed and then he 
didn't sort of wobbly walk over to a chair and sit in the chair. And I thought, oh, poor boy. And I kind of said a prayer for him in my mind. And then all of a sudden I was leaving again. And again, I didn't know why or who was directing this whole thing. And then I was going into this light. Um, it got brighter and brighter. And pretty soon I just felt completely surrounded by white light. And my body started to just, um, the body that I saw, started to just disintegrate. It just became more and more transparent until it was gone. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm here in the light, but I'm not disappearing and I'm not losing my personality. I'm still me. I'm still, I never disappear completely. You know, I'm still going to be me. And I thought that was really amazing. And I felt so safe and so loved and uh, so protected. And I just stayed there for a while in the light. It didn't seem like very long at all, but it seemed like, you know, maybe five minutes or something like that. All of a sudden I was back in the living room where the party was. <laughs> I opened my <laughs> eyes and everybody <laughs> is staring at me. <laughs> right. Um, apparently I had been out for 45 minutes and wow. they were trying to decide what to do if they should wake me up if they should not wake me up or it was not what I wanted the position I wanted to be in and uh, I started telling them about what I saw and everything and it turned out that this little boy apparently had some problem some health problem or something and they thought he would never walk again so they called one of the people at the party knew these people and they could tell from the description of his furniture and his bedspread and all who it was and they called and the parents were crying and saying a miracle had happened and the little boy was better now and then some of the people at the party were saying well then I had healed him and I never felt that I had healed him I feel like I witnessed something and I have had a few instances since then that I have showed up at some place and witnessed something, but I never have felt that I had done a healing. And maybe sometimes a healing takes place when there is a witness, but I never really felt that that was me. But that whole thing was kind of a shocker. But for me, the amazing thing was that when I woke up the next day, I had fundamentally changed. I felt like I had lost all fear of ever dying that was very profound for me I just it it was changed and to this day that hasn't because from that experience you think that's kind of what happens when people go into the light is they're just filled with you know love and support and all of those things is that why you think you're not afraid of dying anymore um I never really made that connection at that time I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure now that to a great degree, many people do experience that. Uh, since that time, I've had that experience many times in different scenarios. I've, I'm a full trans medium. And when I went to Brazil and I went into a trans medium state, I went into uh, the same kind of a light. Mm. And my experience then was of about being in the light for about two minutes and when I came out of it, everyone said I was, I had been doing healings for 11 hours. So, whoa, but you don't remember doing any of the healings either. 
No, all I remember is being very conscious, feeling very warm and safe and and happy and uh, having about two minutes pass. Wow. And I remember when and I woke for up. For 11 hours. <laughs> 11 hours. What did they describe that you were doing for the 11 hours? Well, I wish it's, I had had a film of it, but a friend that was with me said I was with the other shamans that were leading the thing and I was doing healings on people. I have no idea. I had, like I said, I just thought I spent five, you know, half a minute, five minutes in a ball of light. I remember when I came out, this man came up to me and said, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, that's a weird thing to say to somebody. And then, and then someone handed me a glass of water and said, drink lots of water. Uh, you know, but other than that, yeah, that's all I remember. Yeah. Hi, I'm Marie. I'm completely normal. Who are you? <laughs> well, I think they just don't expect that from the, you know, the white folks from, uh, of the United States. <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit more common in Brazil than it is if you grew up in the United States. You told me that when you first went down there, uh, your mentor, uh, Bichinha, was very impressed of how you got so developed in the States, right? Yes, yeah, she found it astounding. She said, I don't even understand how you could possibly have gotten developed to the degree you are living in the United States because we just have a different mentality here. They did a, uh, she told me that they had done a study one time and asked people in Brazil, I think it was in San Paulo, it, if you were a medium and almost half of the people said, answered, yes, I am a medium. If you did that in the United States, I'd be surprised if 1% of the people would answer, yes, I'm a medium. Right that's a big there's a big difference in the way we look at things here (laughs) so what did you do to hone your skills well mostly i i've been on my own and and i decided early on not to read a lot of other people's opinions because i found i found pretty early on that uh, i didn't agree with what i was hearing based on what i was seeing because i can see angels and I can see entities and I can see energy around things and I have been able to for all of my life I would read something and I I'd know right away this person does not know what they're talking about so I was left to trying to find teachers which I found to be that adage when the student is ready the teacher will appear I think whoever wrote that they didn't know what they were talking about. I haven't found that to be true either. So I was left to my own. So I mostly did a meditation. And after I had been doing healing for some time, I went out and I decided I'm just going to start doing healings, but I wasn't going to charge anything. And I, I just have to practice. So I spent 10 years. I worked at a regular jobs, but I also almost full-time drove to people's houses sometimes for four hour drives to do healings on people at no charge. And I did that for over 10 years. Um, I felt that was, I had to do that in order to know what I'm doing and make sure, you know, and to learn more about it too. Um, So I did that. And then I, I also felt I needed some more education about the physical body. So I, 
I went to college. I took a thousand uh, hours in nursing, and and then I settled into uh, massage therapy and became a state licensed massage therapist. And I wanted to improve my um, knowledge of plant medicine. I had been reading and studying plants from my early teens. I love herbology and essential oils, but eventually I bought an herb shop and I ran that for over six years and I taught herbal seminars and, and did some formulations of my own again, so that I'd have more knowledge when I was working with people. Cause I think it's important that you do, you know, you know something about the body and you know, you have some, some education. I don't think it's all just about, you know, waking up and being psychic, you know, if you can't point to somebody's liver, how can you tell that what you're seeing is where the problem is? <laughs> right. Yeah, it certainly helps to know what's going on in the physical. In the physical body, yes. Yeah. And then uh, then I spent seven years drinking ayahuasca with an ayahuasca church and went to Brazil and did three um, major workshops in Brazil that were over a month long during one of them we drank ayahuasca every day for um 30 days yeah that's a lot of ayahuasca (laughs) (laughs) we drank ayahuasca every day for 30 days and then the very next day hopped on an uh, a plane and i was in the la airport i'm like whoa (laughs) this is a big difference (laughs) why does someone drink ayahuasca like 30 times well a lot of people think ayahuasca is a um, psychedelic. What ayahuasca really is, is it's an amplifier. Whatever you are, whoever you are, ayahuasca is going to amplify it greatly. Now, if you're really angry and hateful, that's very bad news for you. Um, well, in a way, it's good because you should learn that and figure that out and get over it. But... But if you're psychic and you're a seer and a medium like me, then it's like drinking psychic rocket fuel. And what I could see, but maybe would be a little bit cloudy, was suddenly in technicolor crystal clear. And being able to be in some place like Brazil, where they understand about it and there's so much nature and there's so many nature spirits, everything was just you know it was just amazing you know wow yeah we saw so many plant divas uh, Bashinia had taken us all outside to sit on the lawn and to try to do a little exercise out there a little spiritual exercise there were so many plant divas she got kind of pissed off and said this isn't working <laughs> they're, they're, they're too distracting they us. wanted all wanted a little bit of attention from you yeah. Well, she said, we can't do anything with all these little Davis doing this constantly. Come on, we're going back inside. And what do they look like? They look very much like the plant they come from. They look like kind of what people picture as a little fairy. Not quite as skinny and not quite as they don't have the little wings per se. But if for example, if you think of a tulip, the plant diva might have part of its body look like the flower of the tulip, or it could be the stem or the leaf. It depends on what they choose. 
But when I saw one, they, we had a big book of botanicals from the rainforest there where we were staying. And when I saw one, and we flipped through the book and I could find the plant and I'd go, yep, there it is. You could really tell the difference. I mean, you could tell the similarities of how this little diva looked just like this plant. So there's always was some very incorporated part of, of the plant. Yeah, wow. So they're just like these cute little creatures that, uh, you know, they, they hang out with every plant. There's one with every plant, every house plant you have, every tree, every flower. They all have a plant diva with them. Which is probably why talking near plants helps them grow, you know, bigger, stronger and, and all of those things they say. Well, anybody could try this. I mean, I do, I've done this many, many times. I'll go out into the forest and I'll look at a plant and I'll start talking to it. And sometimes the plant will actually start to move for you. And it'll move back and forth. And then it starts to fluoresce. And that's the plant diva responding to you. Mm. Um, you know, they just get excited. They want attention. Plants love you. You know, they, they, they love to have attention. Most people just don't think of them as living beings. They just think of them as objects. Mm -hmm. There's much more to that. So let's back it up a little bit because you said you the teacher was not available to you but you talk about Bashinia as someone like a mentor how did you find her well I had made this decision that if I ever heard of somebody that I felt was close to being enlightened and they and I was lucky enough to find out that they were still alive I would go to wherever they were whatever it cost and so I had heard about her. I heard that she was this fabulous medium in Brazil, that she was world famous, which she was. And I had talked to somebody who had actually been to see her and talked about how amazing she was. So I tracked down her phone number. It took me quite some time. And I tracked down her phone number and actually called Brazil, which that alone was so amazing to me to be calling a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I got her on the phone. Well, I got her her. Uh, secretary on the phone and I said you know very simply I'm from the United States and I want to come see you can I come and spend some time with you I didn't even know how strange this was because she's apparently sought after by people all over the world and there was this long silence on the phone and then they said yes you can come <laughs> <laughs> and so then uh, the the secretary said, we will help you make arrangements. They actually helped me to find someone I could stay with when I first landed in Rio. And, uh, and Bashinia actually came with her entourage to the airport and met me. Um, Which is not very usual for her. Apparently not, but I didn't know that at the time. After I got there, people would approach our group when I was moving around traveling with Bashinia and they'd say, wow, I can see that you're with Bashinia. Can we join you? And she would say, no, you can't. And I began to realize that this was really a very big deal and how amazing it was that I was actually getting this private time. That, that first trip with Bashinia it was really just me and four other people for several weeks. And I never 
in my subsequent trip to Brazil ever had that kind of personal time with her, although we did have personal time more than many other people, but never like that. She was, I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm, I'm 5'11", and she was just barely came up to my waist. She's very short, and she was completely cross-eyed. So when you think she's looking at you, she's actually not looking at you at all. So psychic that her father tried to beat it out of her. So she went, ran away from home and lived on the streets of Brazil from the time she was 12 years old. Wow. So she was a very unusual person. When I picked her up, I said, I want to buy lunch for everybody, you know, um, the whole group. And uh, we went to this very nice restaurant. And I remember we sat down and I just... I didn't like the way things were. So I started moving things around. I said, hey, why don't you sit here and I'll sit here and let's move this table a little bit. And, you know, and I just started, wasn't a big deal, but I just like rearranged. We were out on an outdoor patio and I rearranged everything. And then I said, that's better. Okay, good. And a little while later, Brishinia said, I had a really bad headache and you kept moving everything around until the energy was right my headache went away and then you stopped <laughs> <laughs> and I had no awareness of that I just didn't like the way things were <laughs> <laughs> just intuitively being like oh everyone's a little bit uncomfortable so let's move things <laughs> yeah I just didn't like it I mean everyone was like putting up with me because I was buying lunch machine and I got along very well and I remember when she said she said why are you here? And when I started to talk, of course, we're doing this through an interpreter. She right away started waving her hand, said, never mind. You can stop talking. <laughs> she said, don't they see this? Don't they see this? And she was pointing to the energy around me. And she said, this is extremely rare. Don't they see this? And I said, Bishinia, in America, they don't see anything. <laughs> right. So now your kind of specialty is doing these chakra readings, but how were you first able to see chakras? For a long time, I was doing readings. I was doing them on the phone before I went out and started doing them direct. Um, and what I would do is I would get up in the middle of the night and I had a piece of graph paper, just, just the type you do uh, design on. And uh, I would do an outline of a person and then I would, scan back and forth with my finger on the person and I would see like a this is a dark area and this is a really dark area and this is a lightly shaded area and I would make notes like that on it and then I would talk to the angels and I say well tell me more about this dark area and tell me about this area and tell me about that area and then I would make notes and I was kind of struggling with that but but it was working well and I had a lot of people actually calling me and wanting to have me do this for them and then I was in a meditation and there was this hand appeared in meditation holding up uh, about 14 brightly colored fluorescent thin little books. And I said, what is this? And a voice just said, these are for you. Okay. And I said, but what is this? And they just said, this is for you. And then the hand and the books disappeared. And uh, I thought, well, that was interesting. But then about three days later, it's just all of a sudden, it's like a light switch went on and I'm looking at somebody walking down the street and I could see, I could see their chakras. And 
I could see that and what that meant. And I went, wow, this is so much better. <laughs> How old were you when that meditation happened? Let me see. I was, uh, I was about three years before you were born. Okay. So that was about, uh, oh, about 36 years ago. <laughs> yeah, about 36 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was about you know 35 40 yeah and when you were a kid you you said you would see energies in it but it would be like in black and white no no i saw i saw energies and entities but i didn't see like chakra energies okay i I wasn't seeing the people's chakra systems i would still see i would still see halos around people i saw angels i saw ghosts i saw all kinds of things like that but i wasn't looking into the body or seeing i could i could put my hand on somebody when i was a kid and i could actually feel all their symptoms and then know kind of what's wrong with them and also what they could take and what they could do about it which actually is a very dangerous way of doing healing i didn't really know that at that time but i could do a lot of different types of things like that but i wasn't seeing the chakra systems in that kind of vivid color like I do now. What makes the hands-on healing kind of more dangerous? Anytime you're taking anything into your system, you can't actually get it all out. And over mm-hmm. time, um, it, it can make you very sick or kill you. A lot of mediums have died of cancer or very bad diseases. And when I was one of the trips to Brazil, I just kind of walked into a room and the mediums were talking about how so many um, mediums wind up having problems with their thyroid and then having to have their thyroid taken out or they get cancer. Mm-hmm. And I had just had half my thyroid taken out. And I thought, whoa, you know, this is, this is very interesting because I didn't realize that that was what caused that. I didn't know what had caused that. Um, as a matter of fact, I had my thyroid taken out. And after they took it out, I had a, a rare thing called a thyroid storm. I guess there was so much caught up energy that my whole system just freaked out. And I had to stay in the hospital for several more days. But if you have cancer and I go in and I feel your cancer and get into your cancer when I try to pull out some of that energy stays with me and I don't believe that that's what empathy is meant for empathy is not meant to feel people's diseases I really strongly believe now that empathy is meant so that when we're looking at something and we're examining something we can know what is true and what is not true not for us to go into people's energy. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And so do you have any other advice for people that are out there that are discovering that they have these skills and things they should do or not do? Well, I have had many, many people who do say they have abilities and they say, I can do this to people and I can do that to people. And I, the number one thing is never do anything without permission ever you know and why is that well 
first of all, it's not appropriate. It's no more appropriate to go into someone's energy than it is to go stick your hand down their pants. I mean, it's just not appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want anyone doing that without permission. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's their, it it, it is their life and it's their um, energy. Even if they were suffering, if someone got all upset and worked up and had a headache of something, they're doing that because they're learning something. They're going through something, bring them to a realization. And this is something many healers don't understand. If you just go and take away their headache and -hmm. you don't help them figure out why it was there or what they're healing or what they're trying to do, they just have to go get another headache. Gotcha. And sometimes they just get angry if you heal them because you haven't done them any favors. You're just going to prolong their suffering. So just randomly going around and messing with people's energy without them consciously making the decision, yes, I want you to do this, is just inappropriate. Plus, if you go into someone's energy with them not understanding or not knowing, they stay attached to you. You walk away with part of them. And you know how they used to say, if you make love to one person, you're really making love to six people if, the, if everybody's not behaving themselves. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and in and, and, and energy, it's even worse. So if you go into someone's energy, then you walk away with their energy. And if they're inappropriate with their energetics, then you're walking away with a lot of energy. And by the end of the day, you feel exhausted and tired and wiped out. Well, if you could see the, 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 the line of stuff you're dragging, I, you know, no kidding. I remember I had a nurse and I said, whoa, get a candle. And I just set her on a sofa and I spent 40 minutes pulling entities and thought forms after off of her and throwing them into a candle flame. And she goes, every time she'd go, that's better. Wow. That's better. Wow. That's much better. Wow. That really felt better. (laughs) Yeah, and that's probably a good point with a lot of people that are working in medicine. They probably pick up things that they don't mean to. They don't mean to, and they have no idea how to handle their energetics. And so they just, you know, a lot of nurses are just uh, this 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 particular one. She says, I start the day with a quad mocha <laughs> and uh, I end the day with a bottle of wine. Yeah. And that is not how to handle your energetics. <laughs> How should someone handle that and not pick up things from people or, you know, cleanse themselves at the end of the day? Well, smudge and shower for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you almost hung up on me when you realized I had never smudged my house. <laughs> I mean, uh, even after, even though I do things long distance and I'll do long distance healing, I still smudge myself afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Because there is really no time and space and we still connect to people and their energy and you need to always be responsible for that. And that's something that I have been increasingly more careful, the the older and the wiser that I have become. It's taken me a while, but then, and I try to get this message across because it's just so important for everybody. Yeah. So with smudging, you said that if everyone could see the entities and negative thought forms, that would disappear with the smoke then everyone would do it yes it's just like it it looks like when you light a string of chinese firecrackers 
and it goes from being solid and just sort of vaporizes. I've yeah. literally seen you light smudge and, and there'll be like a, a, like a bad thought form and it does the same thing. It just fizzles and then disappears completely. And people's houses, if there's like a lot of arguing or there's a very intense mental person in the house, the houses get full of these thought forms and it's almost so thick you can't breathe. And then you smudge around the house and the whole thing feels lighter and brighter because it is. Those will all just go away, you know. Yeah. Okay, so, so so smudge your house, smudge yourself. Absolutely, absolutely, all the time. <laughs> it's very important, you know. And and it also helps just to be conscious, you know. If you shake hands with somebody and you feel like there's electricity crawling up your arm, well, that's probably a thought form or an entity crawling up your arm, and. So then you, you consciously say, you know, nope, I don't want that energy in my body. And as quickly as possible, go in and wash your hand right up to your elbows and then put some water on, on your head and the back of your neck. Take a couple breaths and say, I'm not allowing any energy in my body. That is not mine. We should be taught this as children. It would be great in grade school if we're taught okay, right after arithmetic, we're going to have body energetics and we're going to teach you how to keep your energy clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be great if it was a little bit more open to that. And maybe one day we will be there. All right. Well, thank you, mom, for this wonderful conversation today. You're welcome. And I guess we'll see you next time.